All right. Hi, everyone. This is Anthony Diaz with the Pop Health Show. And this show is for anyone that's interested in making more than one person healthy in this world. Uh, I'm the CEO and founder of a digital population health company called Health Hero. But very specifically, this show is to help help people understand new trends uh, in health tech, in emerging healthcare uh, topics and fringe topics in health in order to help other people uh, get healthy in this world. And I'm super excited to have Bob Crutchfield on the show today from Harvard Growth Partners. And uh, Bob, I'll just let you give an introduction uh, you know, to yourself and uh, excited to have you. Hey, Anthony, thanks so much. I appreciate it. And uh, as Anthony says, uh, this is Bob Crutchfield. I am a senior partner in the healthcare practice at Harvard Growth Partners. Harvard Growth Partners is um, an institutional venture capital firm with offices in Richmond, Virginia and Birmingham, Alabama. Uh, We invest in technology, generally described as cloud, mobile, security, uh, e-commerce and fintech. And then on the healthcare side, uh, we invest in healthcare IT, technology enabled services and select medical devices. Uh, We're working on our fourth fund. Uh, We invest in the Mid-Atlantic, the Southeast, in the Midwest, including Texas. And uh, we um, are working out of our fourth fund that is targeted at 150 million. And we're currently making investments. We've raised about 100 million to date. So uh, Anthony, thanks again for having me. Great, great. Well, thank, thanks so much, Bob. Uh, thanks, for, thanks for joining us. And uh, maybe you can tell a little, uh, a little bit about you know, how you got started in health. Um, you know, was it was it uh, opportunistic? Uh, you know, is it was it a passion for health? But just maybe you can tell us your origin story uh, and what drives you to this area. Yeah, so I graduated from the University of Georgia with majors in chemistry and political science, and my first job out of college was with uh, a, a political party, uh, state party over in Alabama. And uh, following, you know, a, um, a short time working there, I met my wife, fell in love, asked her to marry me. She said yes, with the caveat that I get out of politics. And so I was able to land a job uh, with a company selling uh, very glamorous products, uh, uh, urinary drain bags and Foley catheters. Not exactly what you want to write home to tell your parents about, you know, that you've made it. But um, that that uh, began a, a real passion for healthcare that led me from sales and marketing to um um, operational leadership and companies like Carl Stortz, where I had their distributorship for uh, the Lap Coley days, uh, in the Lap Coley days for Alabama, uh, um, North Mississippi, the Panhandle of Florida. And then I did a healthcare services startup in the early 90s that uh, we uh, managed surgical laser programs for hospitals and surgery centers. And that business scaled. We had some success there, ended up taking that uh, public through a merger. And then following an exit to a larger public company, uh, I went to Cardinal Health and did uh, senior uh, VP GM leadership roles there, built business units at Cardinal Health. And then from Cardinal, went to U.S. Oncology, where uh, I built out the pharmaceutical services division for U.S. Oncology, building pharmaceutical distribution, specialty pharmacy, and medical data from scratch with a team, created about a $2.5 billion division, 100 million in EBITDA that I ran. And then in uh, 2008, uh, became a, an operating partner here at Harvard, thinking I would uh, find a, a business to land into and run. Uh, really liked the team here, fell in love with the business, and uh, became the senior partner on the healthcare team in 2011. 
No, that's that's great, Bob. No, I really appreciate uh, that background. Very interesting progression, you know, over your career, and then obviously, um, you know, being on um, you know your fourth fund at at Harvard Growth, uh, you know, venture partners. Um, you know, super exciting the growth in this area. Um, you, you see, probably so many products and companies and trends, Bob. What are one or two like uh, use cases or emerging trend topics uh, or technologies that really get you excited uh, these days? And maybe you can detail out, um, you know, some use cases uh, yeah. that you're, that really got you excited. Yeah. So, so I'll start with the fact that for the first time really in, in healthcare's history in the U.S., technology is being deployed uh, rapidly in order to drive efficiency, predictability, and repeatability at scale with the way care is delivered, um, both from an acute setting and a, and a hospital environment as well as ambulatory provider settings. Um, the, the, the race to figure out how to be more predictable, repeatable, and, 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 and uh, basically narrowing the variation in the way care is delivered around high volume procedures. That's just something that um, I haven't seen uh, during my healthcare career going back to the, to the 80s. And uh, the other thing that's exciting is that our ability to, to use data in meaningful ways in healthcare has also radically changed. And so one good example of um, a company that we invested in, that's a use case, uh, was a company called Wellcentive out of Atlanta. We invested in Wellcentive in 2011. Wellcentive was a company that had developed a modular EHR, uh, basically designed for, uh, by a uh, healthcare provider, an ambulatory uh, pro uh, uh, care provider, who was part of a large physician health organization. And they had multiple offices and needed an ability to pull data from disparate locations, disparate EMRs, and even with some practices that didn't have an EMR so that they could do quality reporting. Mm -hmm. And so um, that became something that began to develop some momentum in the market we invested. And in a very short period of time, we were able to see the technology reach expand into a healthcare enterprise system, the acute setting, because the Affordable Care Act had really begun driving meaningful use and quality reporting uh, uh, in, the, in both the ambulatory system and the enterprise system. And so in very short order, we began to see that there was the development of cohesion, coordination, at least uh, around the aggregation of data and then through the mining of that data, we could create more collaborative reporting schemes across both the acute care and ambulatory setting. Well, Centive did really well. We had an exit. Uh, that company grew and uh, scaled, and we exited to Royal Phillips in 2016 in July. And um, Royal Phillips is now using Wellcentive as the centerpiece of their global population health strategy. So you know, we feel good about the work we did at Wellcentive, but the, the main thing that we see happening that excites me or that I saw happening that excites me is that one coordination of care in a coordinated and collaborative way is occurring rapidly. And the other thing that's happening is that the point of care continues to expand beyond the traditional environments. And so I think that's, that's going to be a trend that we continue to see uh, over the next five to seven years. 
No, that's that's great. I appreciate that uh, that insight and um, you know perspective. Um, great example with yeah with well sensitive. Um, uh, I, I think you've touched on a few other points too on you know um, with these technologies and you know new processes and uh, data mining. Um, you know, comes the opportunity to reduce variability at scale. Um, and you also have this convergent trend of, you know, this move to fee for value. You have, you know, macro and backpack and, um, you know, it seems like both houses of the government, both sides of the government are, are in favor of fee for value. Do you, do you have some theses on what you see happening there over the next, you know, three to five years uh, or longer in, in fee for value? Do you, do you see ourselves going backwards to more of a service based you know, model, but just, just love your, your thoughts. I'm sure our listeners would love to hear a little bit about that. Yeah. So, so it's very interesting, right? So, so most acute hospitals, right, are straddling the uh, fee for service uh, reimbursement model with rapid movement to value based care. Mm-hmm. Um, I think value based care is going to be continued. Uh, to be pushed into the market through CMS, uh, through Medicare and Medicaid, and has often been the case with payers. CMS has been sort of the leading predicate for uh, reimbursement strategies for for some time. I do think this time CMS is being forward thinking. And I think, you know, as you look at everything from the chronic care CPT code that came out and uh, uh, or, or went live in, uh, in January of 2015, for Uh telehealth management of chronic care patients, polychronic patients in their home to what we're seeing rolling out now around um, bundled payments with hips and knees. I think we're going to continue to see a migration away from fee-for-service to uh, more of a value-based model. And and I believe it's going to be driven through bundled payments. I think high-volume procedures, particularly those that are occurring in the Medicare uh, population and Medicaid population, but primarily Medicare population, high volume, you know, procedures like hips and knees, gallbladders, you know, arthroscopies, those kind of things. I think you're going to continue to see a bundled payment strategy develop there. And then over time, I think that bundled strategy is going to move upstream into the more healthy population around you know, um, um, quote unquote, short term chronic conditions. And, and I, 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 I say a chronic condition, I don't, I don't mean it disparagingly, but, but like pregnancy, right? You've got a uh-huh. defined period of time in which a, a care event is occurring. It's a longitudinal care event. It's very predictable in terms of the prenatal care that has to occur or should occur during a pregnancy. The delivery, you know, environment is fairly predictable in terms of how babies are are delivered today and the procedures used to to uh, to deliver them and then post you know uh, uh, natal care. So I, I think we're going to see more and more uh, movement to value, but I think it will be measured uh, in two ways: one, bundle payments around actionable, you know, more behavioral alignment by providers um, around high volume procedures to be more consistent with narrowed variation. Think of oncology, think of gynecology, think of general surgery, urology. I mean, all of these have high volume ambulatory care, high volume procedures that are are very predictable. And then I think um, the next, you know, sort of component of it is is going to be around uh, quality that is measuring how well a provider is behaving 
around driving the actions required to achieve sort of the strategic goal of, you know, narrowing a variation. So, you know, with the rollout of MACRA and MIPS, and you're seeing a perfect example of clinical metrics and data uh, and patient engagement, you know, data being and, and use of technology being clear measures of how reimbursement is going to be um, measured in terms of uh, amounts per, uh, that will be paid to these providers based on how well they're delivering around those, those you know, metrics around use of uh, technology, patient engagement, and clinical metrics. Mm. No, no, this is this is great, Bob. No, I really appreciate that. Yeah, and it does it does feel like that that you know the world of healthcare has been has has been in such dire need for you know penalties to exist for not getting procedures right. You know, it's I have this analogy that you know it's kind of like going down to get an oil change for your car and having so much variability in pricing and service when we all know what it takes to kind of change the oil of a car. It should be a certain fixed amount. Um, you know, obviously in this new world where you have macro and MIPS um, that are ushering in, um, you know, this this important structure and value-based model, um, you've got, it almost feels like trillions of dollars of payments are needing to shift from, you know, this one broken model of service model or inefficient model, I should say, to one that's value-based. So obviously from a venture standpoint, that bears with it a tremendous amount of opportunity. Are there any supportive technologies or things that you feel you know are, are are needing to be in place, or technologies that are going to help to usher in the efficient move of of all these payments from from one side to the other, and maybe you can touch upon anything that has you excited about you know supporting that shift. Yeah, so I, so there are a couple of things. One is I think as the shift develops around known codes like the 99490 code right. that has been bolstered in 2017 with additional codes to support chronic care management. Companies uh, like the one we're in uh, in Florida called CareSync mm-hmm. that are filling the distributed care void to allow providers to extend their reach to their patients. And again, a coordinated, coherent strategy so, um, so that it's really an extension of the provider rather than a handoff to a third-party service. Uh, I believe we're going to see the, the development of more of those. Uh, you know, CareSync, where they sit, they're providing the delivery of the requirements of the 99490 code to patients in a manner that is allowing a regular touch on those patients so that monitoring and steerage and navigation of those patients so that they are receiving the right care at the right time, at the right venue, at the right price by the right provider, basically making sure that their relationship with their ambulatory provider is consistent and regular and that data around their health is being presented to the ambulatory provider in a consistent and regular pattern so that, um, 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 you know, events that, that could require uh, reporting to the emergency department or could require being admitted to a hospital or, um, you know, headed off in advance. Uh, so I think you're going to see more services like that develop. And, you know, they really are technology-enabled services because we're collecting vast amounts of data around these patients and what it takes to move them behaviorally for them to be, uh, you know, actual 
uh, members of their care team, right? So I think that's one thing we're going to see going forward is that patients will be members of their care team, third-party organizations that are becoming extensions of the, the ambulatory providers' practice, and even hospital systems as they build out their chronic care programs. Patient engagement is very different than delivery of patient care. And I think that's the, we're, we're starting to see that segmentation occur in the market. So there's a big delivered, uh, uh, distributed care void that exists around patient engagement that is delivered in a care, under a care model, but that is very different than providing, you know, hands-on care like an ambulatory provider would if mm-hmm. you uh, were in his or her office. So that's mm-hmm. that's one thing that I think we're going to see. The other thing is, is I think we're going to see, um, we're looking at a number of systems that are beginning to, you know, putting a bundled payment together, you know, is is a lot easier than putting the, the care coordination model and the care delivery model in place that meets that bundled payment, right? Mm-hmm. So uh, think of a HIP, right? I mean, they're probably, you know, 10 to 12 variations on how a HIP procedure can be done based on surgical approach and type of joint use. Mm-hmm. Um, different longitudinal time horizons that exist. So, but if you just take, the moment of time from diagnosis by an ambulatory care provider, then going through a diagnostic, you know, um, uh, environment where you're getting your X-rays and your MRI, being handed off to a specialist, going to pre-op, going into your surgical procedure, coming out of surgical and post-op, going into some sort of step-down facility where. You, you may be in the acute setting or you may be in a step-down facility that's a rehab c- center, so that's affiliated or associated with uh, the, uh, the acute care setting, managing that patient through rehab until they return to the specialist and return to their ambulatory provider. That's an awful, that's an awful lot of care coordination that has yeah. to occur there. And in order to be able to do that, in a consistent, predictable, repeatable fashion where you're managing the risk of patients that are all, you know, very different to some extent. We're looking at technologies that can help translate a bundled payment in terms of the payment component and the time horizon component, and then break that down into care coordination uh, 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 steps, right? So that those care coordination steps do three things. One, ensure that the patient's getting the quality of the care that they require across the total episodic event, because it's an episodic event that has, you know, probably 45 to 60 days, even 90 days potentially of of timeline, Uh, making sure that the care coordination that's occurring is the variations have been narrowed to the extent so that you have some predictability of cost. And then, the third thing is being able to uh, gather that data in a meaningful way so that you can measure against your outliers, you can measure against your best practices and identify those best practices. So we're looking at um, uh, technologies that, that will take care coordination to, to a new level uh, from a technological supporting, from, from technology being a supportive tool. Great. 
No, uh, Bob, this is, this is amazing. Yeah, no, I appreciate that, the, the perspective and walkthrough. And I think for a lot of our listeners, you know, um, you know, you, you just have such massive change and all the, all the, you know, the pieces you just mentioned and how they're interwoven, I think is, is real, really critical and key. I think on the, just in the more, uh, humanity side of things, you know, it feels like there's, you know, the ability for these procedures and the, the patients receiving these procedures, there's a huge opportunity because the, the systems have to get it right. Um, or there's going to be severe, you know, penalties involved that, you know, there's a lot of good health change that could happen on an individual and group, uh, perspective. And I think that's probably just the most exciting part of, you know, the, the processes you just mentioned, um, Bob, um, you know, kind of, as we kind of come to a, a close uh, on, on the show, you know, one question I always love to ask is, you know, what is, what is one or one or two things, or, you know, one thing maybe that you believe that other people feel, uh, is insane or something that you believe that you have not yet proven yet. Um, and so just love to hear your, your thoughts on that. Yeah. I'm, I'm assuming you want to limit that to the healthcare. <laughs> so it doesn't um, have to, doesn't have to. <laughs> so, so one thing that I think that I, I may be, I may believe that others don't, I, I don't, I'm not sure this is true that uh, everyone doesn't believe this, but there may be some that agree with me, but I don't believe that over the next, you know, decade or two, that healthcare will be a consumer-driven environment. Mm-hmm. I, I don't think that patients will, in the next ten to twenty years, buy uh, or access their healthcare in the same way that they buy, evaluate, and access their, you know, technologies that they use around PDAs and, you know. Um, um, music, you know, uh, tech, uh, uh, technology that you that you use for music and uh, those kind of things. I, I just uh, even the way that they buy their automobiles. You know, I don't think that consumers are on the healthcare side are going to be buyers of care. I think they will be more cognizant of the way that they have to pay for care. But I don't think that they will be buyers of care in the traditional way that we 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 view it today from a mm. consumer perspective. I think we're looking at more provider-directed consumerism. And I think, you know, providers both at the ambulatory side and at the system side and the acute environment are becoming more cognizant of their duty and responsibility, particularly under the reimbursement programs, which really helps drive duty and responsibility. But mm-hmm. I think they're seeing that their responsibilities for engaging these patients with different types of provider interactions that are, are very different than the traditional doctor-patient environment that you're going to see, you know, lower cost healthcare workers stepping in and filling some of these voids uh, around distributed care so that telehealth will continue to grow, but it won't be telehealth uh, at scale because a provider is using telehealth. It'll be telehealth at scale because, uh, um, you know, a low-cost healthcare or lower-cost healthcare worker is getting in touch with a patient about their chronic condition and helping them manage that condition by uh, helping them be cognizant of the importance of taking their medications and doing the proper rehab or doing the proper exercises and being being aware of you know uh, uh, morbidity issues associated with being you know not moving and not 
you know, uh, exercising a little bit and those kind of things. So I think we're going to see healthcare become both from a provider perspective delivered differently than it's delivered today. But I think provider directed consumerism is still going to be the model. Mm, mm. No, that's an interesting perspective. I haven't heard anyone codify it that way, but it, you know, all trends, all data, you know, currently what we're seeing, you know, points to that. Um, and you can see that perspective, you know, growing. Um, no, this is great. Uh, Bob, uh, uh, this was great to have you on the, the show. Um, um, what's the good way for our listeners to get a hold of you or interact with you online if, if they want to get a hold of you? I think this, this has been this, this has been perfect. This has been perfect. So thanks. Appreciate it. Appreciate it. And appreciate it. And might have lost you there, Bob. But um, anyway, so we, what we'll do, um, listeners, we're, we'll cut the show off here. Um, you know, if you want to get a hold of Bob Crutchfield, um, his information is online. You can get a hold of um, his firm through harbert.net. Um, and then obviously they have a contact us page, but harbert, H-A-R-B-E-R-T.net. All right. Thank you so much.